if you don't expose yourself to those types of experiences where you are failing and you're making mistakes and it's looking ugly and it's terrible, but you're learning and you're going back and you're fixing the things that are bad and you're evolving, if you don't give yourself those types of experiences, then whenever you hit a bump in the road or you hit a failure or you make a mistake, then it feels like this big, huge thing. Welcome to the Art of Speaking Up a podcast that empowers professional women to rise. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and in this show, I take you undercover into the stories and lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, throughout my career. I also talk with working women, leaders, and coaches to show you that no matter what your struggle is and no matter what your career goals are, you already have all the talent that you need to succeed. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's so good to be here. I hope you're happy to be here too. I'm really excited about this conversation and I'm really excited for you to hear it because it speaks to a topic that I know I really struggled with that is super close to my heart and super close to the mission of the show. And a lot of what's in this episode and a lot of what you're going to hear about is this struggle of being in a professional setting. Maybe it's a meeting, maybe it's some type of work situation and being afraid, being afraid to be a part of the conversation, being afraid to share an idea idea that comes to you, having this fear that maybe you're not good enough, maybe you don't belong there, maybe you're not supposed to be there, and having that fear stop you from contributing and sharing your gifts and your ideas and your talents with the world and with the people around you. And it's so important to do that. It's so important to develop that voice and get comfortable sharing almost everything that you have to share because that's how you're going to grow. And that's how the people around you are going to be able to see your talents and how you think and what you have to offer. And the good news is that if you do find yourself struggling and you're sometimes in these situations where you don't trust your ideas and you're questioning yourself and you're stopping yourself from speaking up, the good news is so many of us have been there. I've been there. Today's guest talks about times when she's been there. And the good news is it's not a permanent state of being. Over time, you can build confidence. You can get comfortable with your ideas. You can trust yourself. You can trust that your contributions are good enough just as they are. And even better than that, you can build the courage to be a part of the conversation even if you're not entirely sure that your ideas are perfect, you can get past the need for having ideas that are good enough and polished because part of leading and growing and stepping up in your career is showing up and having a presence and having a voice when you're not 100% sure and being brave and courageous and open enough to be willing to learn along the way. And that theme is huge in this episode, and you'll hear Marissa talk a lot about about control and letting go of control inside and outside of the workplace and how moving away from that paradigm of I must be perfect and I must control things all the time, how moving away from that paradigm can make everything just feel more open and more easy. One of my favorite parts in this conversation, which you'll hear about, is when Marissa talks about how something that has been very helpful for her professionally is to accept the fact that life and work 
work, and the world that we're in is a squiggly line. I love this idea of the squiggly line so much, accepting the fact that things aren't going to be linear and straight and always up and to the right and always perfect, but accepting that squiggly line, accepting the ups and downs, and learning to ride the ups and be okay making it through the downs. And with that acceptance and with that letting go of control and with that new perspective can come freedom and courage and bravery to step into a greater version of ourselves. And it was such a privilege and so much fun to hear about how that's been for Marissa. I am so excited for you to meet her, for you to learn more about her and her career journey and her learnings and her golden nuggets of advice. So with that, let's get into the conversation and I'll catch you at the end. My name is Marissa Germain, and I work in international development as a program manager. I also have a side business that is growing, and I got into this field mostly because my family is originally from Haiti, and we'd go and visit once every four years, and I kept learning and seeing over the years how challenging it was for people who were living there and that there were systemic problems that were happening. And so I wanted to learn more about how to change those things because in a world where we have all of these resources, it doesn't seem right that there are such extremes in livelihoods. And so that is how I got into the field. So I went to school, got my master's degree, worked in Haiti for a year, and then through luck and a lot of hard work. Um, I ended up getting a job here in DC and have worked for two entities here doing work for USAID and a variety of donors and funders in the developing world. And we're going to get a little bit more into your career experiences Mm -hmm. and some of your mindset growth. But before we get into that, I'm curious to ask you, I've been asking a lot of my guests, what are you working on now from kind of a mindset and professional growth standpoint? That's a good question. That would have to be this detachment, sort of. It's funny because I was talking about this with my roommate earlier. We, in the social sector, in the mission-driven fields, we feel that our work is our identity and like the causes that we're fighting for are so personal and so important that you have to give 110% of yourself in order to achieve the outcome that you're searching for. And while that is true to a degree, it also ends up being relatively destructive um, because then you don't really have the ability to take a step back from the work that you're doing and survey and, and think critically and look at the larger system because you're so emotionally invested in the work that you're doing. So I feel like I am there now, but I'm trying to develop more tools so that I can have those breaks and not feel like I am sacrificing my work for taking care of myself and choosing not to work for an afternoon and go on a bike ride instead, just to kind of recharge. And like, I'm still working on reducing the the guilt around not working all the time or investing all my time on that, especially when people around me seem to be doing that exactly. And just kind of owning that a little bit more and just be like, you know what, I'm taking a break. It will allow me to be better at my work and being confident in that choice. It's so interesting because I think a lot of people struggle to feel invested in their work. And I think a lot of people are looking to feel more fulfilled. And it's almost like you have such a personal connection and like you do feel so invested in your work. But then that creates a new challenge, which is stepping back from it can feel hard. Yeah, it is very much a a factor that I think most people who go into the like heart centered industries, the way I like to phrase it, like doctors, teachers, nonprofit workers, 
that's an element that is discussed, but it's not really felt or really addressed in any way. Like I think the WHO report coming out about burnout and that it's actually a diagnosable thing Mm -hmm. and we should be talking about it. And here's the validity. It's not just because this person's a little bit wonky that they're burning out or this person is a woman that they're burning out or that they are poor that they're burning out. It's like, no, this is a real thing that people deal with. And there's a study, there's evidence. And so we can talk about that in a way that, you know, at the start of my career, I don't think anyone really talked about how to avoid burnout in your career especially when you're putting so much personal attachment to your work. And we're going to talk a little bit about mindset and some of your experiences. So a major topic on this show that I've talked about and other guests have talked about is questioning whether you're good enough, whether you belong. A lot of times it comes down to like questioning your intellect and your ability to contribute. I want to hear a little bit about your experience with some of those mindset-related challenges, what you've experienced in your career, and how you've grown through that. I'm taking a minute. Because I think for me, I have really struggled with that in different ways. And every time I think I've addressed it, it comes back up again. Like it, I kind of dealt with a little bit of that this week. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like I am, I'm a grown adult. I have achieved all sorts of things. Like why am I like getting annoyed by this kind of stuff? Um, so I am trying to think of like the best way to talk about this. I guess because my path into development was not the traditional path. I didn't go to an ID. I don't have well-connected family members in the traditional sense. Like that is the case for a lot of people in DC and the foreign affairs industry. These are broad brush statements and there are always exceptions. Clearly I am one of them, but there's a good bulk of people who either grew up in the area or they're the kids of diplomats or their parents were missionaries or their parents donated in this way, or their parents were in a better financial position, like they're, you know, upper middle class, if not upper class kids. And I think sometimes it gets to be challenging to see yourself on the same level because your path was a lot more challenging than others. And that mindset also excludes the belief that there are other people who have had challenging roads to get to where you are as well. And so it's not a unique individual experience that that's an experience that a lot of people go through. So, yeah, I mean, it's been, a, it, it's a very <laughs> rocky experience and you kind of have to recognize that you're going through it. And I'm really thankful that as I was going through my career, that the conversation around imposter syndrome started to take place because in my early years, I was like, why am I not getting this job? Or like, I would get a job and I'm like, I, am I really qualified to be here? I don't really have the connections like these other people have. Like I have student loan payments that I have to worry about. There's an instance that I'm thinking of. So there was an organization that I was working for. And so we were doing this student education, summer camp type thing. And in this particular case, um, the reviews that we were getting from the summer camp were not stellar and that the kids wanted to do something differently. And so I had an idea. I was like, oh, it'd be really cool if we did this particular activity. And thankfully I had a friend that I had known before working there. And I was like, Oh, I know you like did this in school. Like, you know, maybe we should do something like that. And at that point I had recognized that my voice was not as well received, I guess. Um, and I'd offered the idea. No one really took the bait for it. So I wrote it on a note on a piece of paper and passed it to my friend. And I was like, you know, that thing that you did in class, you should totally use that activity with the kids. He read it and he's like, Oh my God, 
we should do this. And like, just, this is the idea that we should do. I know how to do it. And you like ran with it. And it was the most well-rated activity of the week. And so while that is like a, an example of male and female voices and like the different types of dynamics that can exist in a room, it also was a reminder to me that like, even though there had been challenges at that organization ahead of time and like that I was questioning my abilities and my intellect and my ability to deliver, I did have something to offer. And if it wasn't going to come from me, it should come from someone else and so that, that we can achieve the goal that we're after. And so that is the mindset that it carried me through for a while until I started to work in more open work settings. And I started to receive the feedback of like, oh, well, you know, you often support other people and your bosses and these other individuals. And then I don't necessarily always take credit or assert my knowledge or positioning in the space. And that's fine when you're an entry level, but that doesn't necessarily carry you through when you're in like middle management and you're starting to lead initiatives. And if you want to be a leader in your industry, you can't be focusing on supporting other people. You have to like start staking claim in your space. And that's so uncomfortable (laughs) because you really have to start changing your mindset and that, you know, I am valuable and I have a voice and it needs to be heard. And like, it may be wrong. I may not always be right, but that's okay. Because if this other colleague who is consistently making mistakes and people still celebrate him and allow him to get promoted and excuse some of his bad behaviors, then like, why not you? Why do you have to put yourself aside And be like, oh, well, if I'm not perfect, then therefore I can't be successful or achieve the things I need to be achieving. What you shared is really, really helpful. And I'm really glad that you shared this because I think that this question, well, there's two pieces, right? There's first um, having the conviction in your suggestion, your idea enough to at least surface it because it, it almost sounds like you came to a place where you were very comfortable surfacing things and almost like leading collaboratively, like in this very peer connected kind of way. And so I'm sure through that, I'm sure you've received like cycles of positive feedback, positive results to what you're doing. But this idea of like stepping out and you as a person, like Marissa having more space in the room, like, uh, like, I don't know, I'm almost imagining like everyone sitting at a meeting table and you're like always making sure that like your laptop and your notebook is just like taking up the space in front of you. And now you're like, wait, it's actually better for me to spread out into that person's seat and take more than my unit of space. But like everything in me is fighting it and it doesn't feel uh, safe. And I'm trying to figure out how I spread out. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yes. In college and in grad school, I went to two places. I went to Rollins College and University of Pittsburgh. And in both places, they were very much encouraging and like fostering of like, take up the space and lead the things. And I got involved in all sorts of like leadership development programs and like learned how to move and facilitate a room and things like that. And it wasn't, it was when I started to like be working that all of that stuff started to become challenged. And I'm like, well, all right, well, let me try like leading from the back of the room and making myself smaller. So I don't threaten the systems that currently exist. Because whenever, especially when you're new, and when you're young, and you're coming in at the entry level, if you (laughs) happen to be like me, you want to like, just shake things up and make the world better. And like, you see all the problems, but you don't have enough of the history about why those problems exist. And so 
it can create a lot of conflict and a lot of friction. And then you end up not achieving what it is that you set out to achieve because you pissed everyone off. You've like stepped all over people's work unintentionally. And then that starts to feed like the imposter syndrome, right? You're like, well, clearly I don't belong here because I just upset all of these people. And like I say all of these people, it's not like I, there isn't one particular setting or example where that was the case where I just like came in and was like, this is how everything needs to be. Let's change everything. And then like, the entire organization hated me. That's not what happened. (laughs) It's like there were small instances where, you know, you're in your career and you're like, oh, well, this doesn't seem to make sense. And then you realize (laughs) that the person across from you drafted the program or has been running that program for the past 10 years. And you're like, oh no, I made them mad. That was so disrespectful. Yeah. And so in trying to like be respectful of other people and their contributions, yeah, I started to get really insecure about like sharing my voice and wanting to take up space. And I feel like we are in a really great time because we now have lots of examples of how to take up space. Like it doesn't always have to be like the big loud voice in the room and the person slamming their hand on the desk, (laughs) you know, like, you don't. there's no need for that. Um, There are ways to like take up space that are not that way. Yes. Um, So I'm still trying to figure that out. And like, there's still times where you have to kind of like rein it in a little bit and like, offer the respect to the people who've been doing this for 20 some odd years, especially when you're in a more structured environment. But like trying to navigate that is really hard. And because there is no clear roadmap, there's a lot of mindset stuff that comes into place as well, right? I've been in rooms or worked with people who've been like diplomats forever. And you're like, oh, this is like the person I've wanted to be forever. And you're like, I, but they went to Yale and then they got their master's at Harvard and they've worked for this president and that president, or they came from this wealthy family, or, you know, they fit the appearances of what success in this industry look like. And that is so terribly intimidating. (laughs) And then you start to sit in rooms and you don't see yourself represented really in the room. And you're like, well, you know, maybe I don't have a seat at the table and no one wants me to have a seat at the table, right? Like you have to be sitting on the, on the outskirts. And unless you have an advocate in the room, you don't feel comfortable, you know, shaking things up. And sometimes it's appropriate to shake things up, which I've learned. And there are times that it's not, um, and you kind of have to really pick your battles, but that it sometimes can be hard to separate from like, do I deserve to be in this room? Do I deserve to be in this job? Even though you can look back at all of the achievements and all of the things that you've accomplished that demonstrate that you have the skills, you have the experience, you have the tools that are needed to be there. And I wish I could say that like you achieve a plateau and you're like, okay, cool. I figured it out. It's all good. No, it's like an ongoing thing (laughs) and it evolves and it pops up in a variety of ways. And you have to kind of remember and have to develop that self-talk that like reminding yourself why it's important that you're there and like of the accomplishments that you've achieved and that you are an important voice and that these things are important and that you deserve to be there. And you almost constantly have to do that, which is exhausting, but it's also important in order to be there. Because otherwise, if you start feeding all of those fears and all of those concerns of, oh, well, clearly this person doesn't think I'm important or that I, I, I bring value or that I don't have the right education, then like your work starts to suffer. And then you lose everything because you've gotten so sucked into this idea of that you're not really worthy or that you don't deserve to be there, which is now self-sabotaging when really you just needed to kind of take a step back, recharge, and remember all the reasons why you got there and how you got there and why it's important that you're there. For sure. And I also think like 
if you are like running up against these kinds of frictions where like you're questioning yourself and you're feeling like you want to be sharing more, doing more, but there's like also a fear and a hesitation there. I like that is, in my opinion, like a sign of someone who's an inherent leader, and but is just figuring out how that looks and how it feels. Because if you were in the mindset of like, I just clock in and I clock out and I'm not here to shake things up. I just want to I have someone tell me what to do and I do it and I go home, which is fine. We we should all do what we want. But I think there are people that is not, it doesn't fill their need. It doesn't make them feel satisfied in the way that they want to feel. And so I think it's also like a sign that you have that inside of you. And that's the reason why you're in these situations a lot of the time. And it's almost like almost like a growing pain in a way, because it's like you wouldn't be feeling that if you weren't growing into this other thing. And like you're in like the phase where it's like, oh, it doesn't feel good yet. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I'm giving you this face because I'm just it's (laughs) it's so hard all the time. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I, I my performance often is usually better than what I think it is because I'm operating off of, okay, well, my first draft needs to be what I've seen as a final product for everyone else. And that's what my draft needs to look like. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you should always have like a good draft and you should always put in your best effort, but especially like with a new task, like I've been doing a lot of new tasks at work. And so I found myself setting up these really crazy expectations. Then I was like, let's take a minute and let's pause. Let me just put something together. It's going to be ugly. It's not going to be great. We're going to have to have a conversation about whatever I've produced because I don't, I don't have a lot of experience building this thing. So let me let myself look bad for a minute and then get the information that I need on how to make this better and then deliver something amazing, which is exactly what has happened. And I'm like, why haven't I done this more in my career instead of like, (laughs) instead of just like being so anal retentive and so like stressed about like Yes, I just agonizing for like hours and days, <laughs> agonizing, and then like dragging myself through the coals of like, oh, do I really belong here? Like, I can't produce this thing that they asked me to produce in the way that they wanted because I can't read my manager's mind because you're, you're a human being and you can't do that. <laughs> and so it, it took me a long time to kind of get to a place where I was comfortable enough. And I also will say that like, because I've now been at the entity that I work for, for a couple of years, I feel a lot more comfortable just being like, I'm just going to throw some spaghetti at the wall and I'm going to, I'm going to give it a good try. And like, if you're unhappy with it, like I'm doing it early enough so that we can have a conversation and we can fix it. So I think when you're doing new things or when you're testing your discomfort on things, like doing it on the early side where there's room for growth and fixing is always better. And that stuff is hard to figure out and learn. And I guess if you're already feeling vulnerable and like you're uncomfortable because you're like pushing things or you're in a outside of your comfort zone in, in, in a respect, taking more risk is just more painful Yeah. <laughs> um, until you kind of get to a point where you're like, well, I'm completely out of my realm of comfort. So whatever, we're going to see what happens. So I, I will say that having my side business has really helped a lot of that because that is an arena that is completely out of my comfort zone. Everything I'm doing is new and different and I don't know anything about successfully marketing things like in, in leveraging funds and building client partnerships. But, you know, you go out and you learn it and you figure it out. 
if you don't expose yourself to those types of experiences where you are failing and you're making mistakes and it's looking ugly and it's terrible, but you're learning and you're going back and you're fixing the things that are bad and you're evolving, if you don't give yourself those types of experiences, then whenever you hit a bump in the road or you hit a failure or you make a mistake, then it feels like this big, huge thing. When I was starting out in my career, I really closed myself off to those kinds of opportunities because I was like, I need to be perfect and that's the only way I'm going to be successful. But by doing that, then I just never got comfortable with not being perfect. And by doing that, it doesn't really let you grow and evolve and realize that there's a lot of gray. There's a lot of imperfect. And there are different ways to do different things. And it doesn't always have to follow this particular rule book. And I think accepting that and becoming comfortable with that is hard. But it's important because otherwise you end up kind of atrophying Mm -hmm. and like rotting a little bit because then you're not letting the things that need to die, die and move on and like taking on new things to take their place. Totally. That's why I'm like so fascinated by this topic of mindset in our careers because I don't see it as like this isolated like, oh, I need to take more risks and be more open and be less afraid at work. Like I see it as like a personal paradigm shift of like, I live my life in this way where I'm holding so tightly, I'm controlling, I'm afraid. I create value by being right all the time, being the best all the time to like being open to uncertainty, to gray areas, to fuzzy edges. Like for someone who wants certainty, who wants to control, like being in the world that way feels deeply uncomfortable, but you have to do that to grow professionally and to take risks professionally. So it's like, I mean, I don't know if you relate to it, but for me, it's really changing me. And it's not just changing me in a work setting. It's pushing myself to feel a way that might feel uncomfortable, but I know for sure deep down inside, this is a better way for me to be. It's a happier way for me to be. And it's probably closer to who I really am um, when you strip away all the things I thought I needed. So it's complicated. And I feel like it goes so far beyond just like work mindset. It's our identity and who we are. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes, I wholeheartedly agree. I took a big sigh (laughs) because to make this political. So after the election, I took the results of the election extremely personally, because I was really afraid that with a new administration that had no experience with foreign policy, that the industry that I work in would be completely decimated and destroyed and we would never be able to come back from that and people would languish in these countries and it'd be awful and then I would die and it would be dramatic. And so it it was really, really challenging. But in trying to figure out why it was so challenging for me, I realized that there was actually a lot of things and a lot of truths and a lot of habits and a lot of beliefs that I had like held onto and a lot of control that I was holding onto And the way I was showing up in the world was not the way I really wanted to be showing up. And so it let me be vulnerable to being very sensitive about the outcome of the election. Because countries elect presidents and administrations that are not always in our perspective. And that then countries and societies grow and go through these different phases that some people think are the right way and other people don't think it's the right way. And there's gains and there's losses and it's squiggly. And before the election, I thought things were very linear and I knew that they were very squiggly and like life was very squiggly. But if you were like linear and you were straight and you were like perfect and you were straightforward and you never wavered and you never changed, that that was what would lead to success. And you just held onto your guns and you would eventually get there. And so since the election, (laughs) I have been trying and it's been extremely painful 
um, to go through and like do a lot of self-assessment and a lot of stripping away things that don't make sense or that are no longer important. And, and also just taking risks and trying new things. Um, like I went paintballing for the first time in my life a couple of weeks ago, and that was awesome. If we had had this conversation, what, five years ago, I'd be like, oh, I don't paintball. <laughs> or like, you know, biking around the city. I love taking my bike out in Washington, D.C. It's like, it's like literally my favorite thing. But if you had talked to me when I first moved to the city, I would have been like, hell no, am I going to bike around in D.C.? It's too dangerous. It's too scary. People die on bikes. And I can't control everything that's happening around me. So therefore, I can't bike in the city. So I bought a bike. And then now I bike around and I, I try to try new paths and try new things. And yeah, I've had to do a lot of like letting go of the belief that I have to have control or that success looks a particular way. Careers look a particular way, both in my career and doing Rito. I have had to learn to like let a lot of that go and just like be fluid. And that's so uncomfortable, right? Because it's so uncertain. And there will probably come a time where I'm like, I, I can feel it coming. I'm like, I need more structure. <laughs> like, just kind of being fluid like this is great because it's like what I need for the, this healing period, if you will. But it's also really beneficial. So for example, every Wednesday I would go to trivia and I loved it and it developed a nice routine. And then I started adding other things where I'm like, okay, Monday and Tuesday are my personal days. Mm -hmm. Thursday are my like networking time. And like Friday is when I do this. And then Saturday is like my stuff is the startup stuff. And so I like had developed a very rigid structure, which didn't really allow for a lot of time to just kind of like be and just exist. And I think in those times of quiet and those times of individual like existing, that's when you can start to really let your mind wander and start to figure out like, okay, well, I've been really annoyed with this kind of thing for a while and I don't want to pursue this anymore. Or, you know, these are the types of things that I really like and maybe I should try playing with that. Another example is I have a sketchbook. I am not an artist. Like my, I think my artistic ability is capped at like eighth grade, right? Like I can draw a house, but it's like, it's more just like, cause it's fun, right? I get to pick colors and then I made an image and like instant gratification. I put in some effort and then something came out and I don't do it every week. I'm not, I don't have this goal of like becoming a professional artist at the end of the year. It's just a tool that's in my house that I can like use when I want to use it. And there's no expectation around it. But what's funny is that I had it downstairs and my roommate like came in and like is an architect. So he like drew this beautiful thing in my sketchbook. And I'm like, I hate you. Like, I hate you, but I love you because this is beautiful and I'm going to keep it forever. But like, you just were able to like perfectly draw a human hand and like in a way that I would never be able to accomplish. And like, I think if I had never taking the opportunity to kind of like relax my expectations and relax control and like let fluidity and like flow happen outside of a very structured, rigid environment. I don't think I would have ever been so chill about my roommate just like taking my sketchbook and drawing in it and then being like, oh, well, clearly this is a comparison and a commentary on my artistic abilities when it's not. It's like he is an artist, saw a sketchbook and colored pencils, got excited and drew something. And you're growing and you're evolving and you're trying to push yourself career-wise, you have to build more of that in because there comes a point where the stakes become a lot higher the further up you go in your career. And the pressure gets to be really great that like if I don't make the perfect decision or if I don't execute in this particular way, then it's going to be the end of everything. And 
if you're not kind to yourself, if you're not graceful, if you're not giving yourself space and fluidity to just kind of like feel the discomfort and like work through the discomfort, then yeah, I mean, you end up burning out. (laughs) And I think, you know, Michelle Obama demonstrates a lot of like, you know, forgiveness and room to become and to evolve and a lot of grace on yourself to grow and evolve. And I think as we're all growing and evolving and growing in our leadership and developing, like you need that. You can't be successful without it. I totally agree. And it's so interesting what you said about like just giving ourselves the space, giving ourselves the grace because we're invested in our jobs. And of course we care about the cause and we want to do well. But I think sometimes like the emotional pain that we're in or like that discomfort and those feelings, it's never about our job. It's never about the project. It's never about the thing. I think it almost always boils down to our relationship with ourself. And it's like, can I just be okay being with myself? Can I be okay being with myself when I make a mistake, when I don't feel good, when it's a bad day? And it, it all comes down to that. And like, I think when you're controlling and trying to do so much and do all the things and have everything be perfect, it's like you're just avoiding that. You're just running, running, running away from that one, really. It's like, no, can you just stop, turn off all the noise and like sit with your feelings and sit with yourself and like get to a place where you're like, you know what? I'm okay with who I am. And if you can get there, like you can actually probably feel the sense of ease that you've been craving all along, (laughs) that you've been chasing after in this way that probably won't get you there. And so like in the foreign aid sector, it's really challenging because, you know, you're going to countries that are very challenged, going to places where it's like really high stress. So my two work field experiences that were long-term were in Afghanistan and Haiti. And in both cases, you know, you see things or you're exposed to things that you don't deal with on a daily basis here in the U.S., right? Like when I stayed at the hotel that I was at in, in Afghanistan, We did daily security briefings about the things that were blowing up and where we think they were going to blow up and where we were going to avoid so that we didn't get blown up. Or you're sitting outside of the hotel and you're hanging out and then you hear like a rumbling and you're like, is that thunder? No, probably an explosion. And it was like the airport bomb that had gone off. Which, you know, we don't deal with that here. And I think for a very long time, because in foreign aid, we don't set a a good enough example for our colleagues that, okay, you were in Afghanistan for three months, you should take two weeks off because you need to refresh or here are some resources to help you recalibrate. We don't have the luxury to do that because there's still work when you come back. So I, like after my Afghanistan trip, I took a week and like hopped around a couple of places. I went to Istanbul and to London because they were on the way back to the States. But after a week, I had to come back to the office and I had to respond to an audit and I had to prepare for an official visit and I had a quarterly report that was due. And like, there were all of these big things that were required. And so because like our organizations can't afford to hire enough people to pick up the slack if someone's not there. And so the industry, it's a really challenging industry to get into. And you have to be a really strong advocate for yourself to have that chill time. And you have to build that chill time in and you have to be aggressive about it because no one's going to do it for you because it's not really in the nonprofit's interest or the company's interest to do that for you because they have so many other things like making sure that the lights stay on and that people get paid and that this funding gets to this local entity and that they're doing it and that they're not taking a portion of the funds for themselves or that we're not accidentally and completely unknowingly funding terrorism. Like we spend a lot of time avoiding (laughs) funding terrorist organizations. There's a lot of stuff that we do to avoid that. So it's a very high pressure environment. And 
I had to start doing that for myself. And I didn't recognize that I was being a terrible human to like the people I cared a lot about because I was so focused on like the investment that I was making and like the contribution that I was making to this bigger cause and like giving everything and all the things to achieving this particular cause that I often sacrificed my downtime and often sacrificed like giving myself the leeway that I needed to recuperate and recover before we started in another week. And then because I'm an extrovert or I'm branded as an extrovert, anytime that I'm like on my own, I'm like, am I depressed? Is this wrong? Like, should I be alone by myself this long? And especially like, you know, everyone's like married at my age now um, or has kids and like this, they've built their little families and like, I don't have family around here. I'm not dating. And so then I'm like, well, I'm, if I'm going on a bicycle ride by myself, like, what is that saying? And I'm like, I, and so there's a lot of these types of things. And it's like, you know, yeah, if I feel like if I didn't take the time to do these things and be selfish, which feels really selfish to me, but it's really not, it's like what normal people do. <laughs> and they're like, I don't feel like going to the party. I'm not going to go. Or I want to go to the mall today. I'm going to go is a very normal thing, but I had developed all of this like, oh, well, if I'm not around my friends or if I'm not working on this particular cause, or if I'm not building the business, then like being selfish and like going to do something on my own or like an activity to chill out and give myself space to just be is counterproductive and not achieving those things. When really like that's when the rejuvenation is happening, the creativity is happening, new ideas are coming to mind, new energy is forming and it's hard to feel comfortable doing that and being okay with doing that. Uh, <laughs> but once you start doing it more often, it feels uncomfortable at first, but it starts to become more comfortable. Like I remember, I think the first time I went to, I think I like went to happy hour by myself and I was like, Ooh, I just got a cocktail at a bar by myself. And I was there for like 15 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. And I was like, Oh my goodness, I just did this thing. I'm by myself at a bar. What? Um, and I brought a book with me and I had my phone. So I had all of these distraction mechanisms. So I wouldn't be like weird and alone at a bar. I had something that I was doing. So it looked like I wasn't alone, but those types of things started to become more comfortable. And so I would go to the museums on my own and I started like wandering the city on my own. And yeah, I, I didn't recognize how great that was and how that I needed that. I very much relate to that. And I wanted to give you some time to plug either tell us more about your startup or tell us a bit about your industry and who would like it, whatever you want to share, like whatever's closest to your heart mm -hmm. before we go into the next section. Okay. I'll do a little bit of both. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I have gone through this whole process about the international development industry because I love it and hate it at the same time. Because I think the more you care about something, the more you find fault with it and the more you find the drive to fix it, which I am not claiming that I can fix the foreign aid industry because it's a very complicated, multi-layered industry. But I have fallen in love with it because it allows you to learn all sorts of skills. And basically it's like you're developing little startups all the time because there's a goal. We are here to educate 20 girls in Rwanda that are between the ages of like five and 15 on technology and how to code. And so that's our goal. And so we have to find the funding and the people and get the people there and do the training and 
develop the analytics and then be able to write the report about it at the end and then celebrate the like milestones and all of that. So it's really challenging, but it's also a lot of fun. It's just really challenging. And so in developing my love-hate relationship for the industry, um, I recognize that there are some challenges because we are doing it kind of like a startup, right? We've got our specific goal. We're meeting these things. We're doing all of these things along the way to educate these 20 girls in Rwanda. We don't always have the luxury to think about the long term or really invest in the local staff that we have hired on to help us out in the country to make sure that we're doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. So that inspired me to build my side business, Rido which is an online employment verification service and will one day, we're on the path to hopefully develop a sort of system that gives a little more validity and a little more integrity to the people that we're working with abroad or in the industry overall. Because for me, I worked in Haiti, for example, and there's like some of my experience is hard to verify because that office doesn't exist anymore or, you know, that these are just things that happen when you are in non-US and non, well, that even happens here too, I guess, with businesses. So Rito is an online employment verification service where people can submit their resumes, their education and employment experiences, and we will verify it for you. Given that most of my experience in this realm has been in the international sector, that's where we're really focusing on is people who've worked internationally and maybe not for your standard like Marriott's that just need someone to kind of be like, yeah, they worked here, they're legit. And so in that, we're also doing marketing events in the DC area where um, we're bringing the international development community together and kind of having structured conversations around the different things that are great about the industry, the things that are not so great about the industry, and how we can identify ways to improve it. Uh, Because I think those types of conversations are happening in other industries, but not in ours. And it desperately needs to happen in ours because that's how we can still feel good about the work that we're doing. Amazing. I don't know if you want to share where people can reach you or not. If not, we can skip. But if you want people to be able to reach out to you, let us know where. Yeah. So we have a wonderful, beautiful website, redoapp.com is the major website where all of the things are, the services, the email communications and things like that. And there is a bi-monthly newsletter. So that's where I share my reflections on a lot of the good and the bad and how to kind of reconcile the two as you're growing in your career in development and also just the social sector in general. Because I think a lot of the things that we learn in foreign aid, we can apply to other places as well. Because I think as the world continues to change and more conflict seems to come up on the scene, it can be a little intimidating to continue to commit to the social sector because it seems so uncertain. So the newsletter is kind of an opportunity to like speak to some of those things, but also finding ways to recommit to the mission that you've committed to. Amazing. And with that, I'm going to move us into the closing questions, which are my favorite part of the interview. The first of the two is about the title of the show, which is The Art of Speaking Up. And I love asking everyone what speaking up means to them and why they think it's important. Speaking up to me means conquering your fear of just saying anything in a meeting, especially at the beginning, and being willing to learn the art of when to say something and when to have a sidebar conversation. So I think it's really important because if you don't speak up and if you don't give attention to that part of your career development, then you won't really advance. You'll 
start to feel a little bit frustrated and you will be depriving your company of the opportunity to learn from you because we're all assets to the entities that we work for. Um, and we all have gifts and knowledge and experience that are valuable and not bringing those to the table is only harming the entities that we work for. The way that you give advice resonates with me in a very deep way. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. <laughs> and for the final question, some context for the final question is that I started this show because when I was earlier in my career, I was not feeling very good about my abilities. I was feeling overwhelmed, alone. I didn't have a mentor. And so I started this show to help uplift and encourage anyone who might be going through that themselves, or just to speak to anyone out there who's looking to feel more empowered in their role. So I always love to leave this last space to the guest to share whatever you would want to share with someone listening, either to support them if they're going through something tough or lift them up if they want to be lifted up. I got all chilly about that. Um, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I guess remember that life is not that serious. Like I know it feels serious, but it doesn't need to be that serious. And I think, especially when you're going through the hard stuff, it is not an overnight thing. It's not like a week long thing. It's going to happen again. <laughs> um, and that's okay. Cause it goes like that for everyone. It's not an individual experience. So yeah, I mean, and if you're feeling overwhelmed and if you're like, going through a tough time, that's when real growth is happening. I, I didn't deal with growing pains, but I watched my sister deal with them. And like when she was growing taller, it was really painful. But then, you know, that that's just how it works. You know, you can't really avoid it and you have to find ways to just, you know, be okay with laying on your bed for an hour and whether you're listening to music or not listening to music. And I know there's like all this taboo about like flipping through social media it's better if you go for a walk. It's better if you're being creative. But like, I think just take the pressure off. Like life needs you to take the pressure off because it's already going to apply a ton of pressure onto you. So don't make it worse for yourself. Just be like, you know what? I'm not going to do anything this afternoon. I'm quitting my job and my family just for the afternoon in my head. And I'm just going to hang out by the pool or go for a walk. And that's okay. And I'll pick up all of this stuff tomorrow. It'll be there tomorrow. Thank you for tuning in to my conversation with Marissa, talking with her and listening back to this episode and this conversation just lit me up and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you listening so much. You have no idea how much it means to me. And to those of you who have reached out to me and DM'd me and gotten in contact with me, thank you. It means the world to me when you tell me that this show has helped you, whether it's helped you in a tiny way, you are feeling a little bit braver and being more vocal, or whether it's helped you land a new job and progress in your career. It is just magical, magical for me to hear these things. So please feel free to reach out to me if you feel called to. I love hearing these stories. They literally fuel me to keep going and they expand my creativity and my ability to work on the show. So thank you. If you're wanting to reach out, you can find me on Instagram at The Art of Speaking Up. Please reach out. And if you're enjoying the show, make sure you're subscribed in iTunes. Please write a review if you want to contribute to the show. I love getting your feedback. If you do write a review, share a little bit about your self, maybe a victory, maybe a win, maybe something you're working on so that I can shout you out on the show. I would absolutely love to do that. 
And please still submit listener questions. Some of the episodes that I've been airing have not had listener questions. That's because they're coming a little bit later in the season. I'm playing with the format, changing some things up, but I'm still doing them. So if you have a question, please send it to me and it'll probably pop up on a future episode. And with that, I would say that it's time for me to sign off, time for you to sign off, time for us to go about our days, but I hope you're doing well. It's great to be talking, well, I'm talking to a microphone, but it's like I'm talking to you and I'm imagining you listening, so it's great to be talking to you. And I'll see you in the next one, hear you in the next one, talk to you in the next one. Okay, I'm gonna go now, bye.